Backchat Studios is a part of the ACAST Creator Network. Head to backchatpodcast.com.au to sign up as a patron and access all of our merch. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, back to our basketball show, hanging out, not with Ben Mellis, not with Greg Heyer, but we've been very lucky, not as lucky as the San Antonio Spurs. We've got Liam Santa Maria with us today. Liam, how you going? I'm good. Thanks that's, for having me on. That's very good. So the San Antonio Spurs, they've bloody done it again. <laughs> Robinson into Duncan into mm. Wembenyama. It doesn't make sense, but the basketball gods have shined upon the San Antonio Spurs. How do you feel after seeing the Spurs get the number one pick again. Uh, I love it. i got to be honest. I love it. I was looking at that final four and thinking about who I would like uh, to get that number one spot and to get Wemby and and build with him. Um, I really like the idea of Portland. I like the idea of him teaming up with LaMelo, of course, in Charlotte. But I don't know. There's something about Wemby that just feels like he fits the Spurs. Maybe it's because he's an international. Maybe because he's a a number one draft pick that's a that's a big guy yep. like the admiral and and big fundy and um and then i just like you know the fact that in the twilight years of greg popovich's <laughs> nba head coaching career uh he's going to be able to work with wemby and and get his career underway yeah he's going to get he like you know for the last 3 or 4 seasons people are saying oh this is pop's final year and seemingly keeps getting dragged in and now I saw a tweet, someone saying oh, Popovich is going to be coaching as like a brain in a jar in like 15 years <laughs> with Wemby. Um, so I, I don't know. I wonder what that means for him if he's like, well, you know, buckle in for another 10, 15 or, or he could, I don't know. Why, why would you leave now? You got such a good opportunity with this. Yeah. yeah. It's been interesting to watch that over the last few years and to think like after the, the teams that he was working with, you know, what, why is he, why is he still doing it with these yeah. groups and these young players and, and then, yeah, he's going to have Wembenyama in there. And I, I just feel like also just the stability of that that organization. And it does feel like one of the more sort of international NBA franchises as yep. well. You know, of course, with Ginobili and, and Tony Parker and Boris Diaw and these kind of guys over the years. And you've still got Pop and you've still got RC Buford there at the helm running the organization. It feels like a really stable, really comfortable, solid franchise for him to land at exactly and and he was pumped as well there's some video of him seeing it and look you know I'm, i don't want to shit on any um teams out there but the hornets have continually been mediocre at best and um the pistons like you'd, you'd be hoping not to get to those teams so he'd be absolutely stoked to end up at the spurs where they basically tank for a year i mean they haven't been good for a while but they basically tank for one year and then they're good again it's very frustrating as a mavs fan who's just i don't know where what even what we're doing at the moment 
Um, we ended up with the tenth pick, which is not an absolute nothing burger. Just to see a, a team like the Spurs, like let's just be really shit for a year, get a, get a generational talent, and then and move on is quite frustrating. Liam, we um have sort of moved on pretty quickly, but I usually ask our guests one question at the start of every episode of the Backchat Basketball Show, which you can find us on Instagram, Backchat underscore Basketball. Um, Liam, you've played basketball. You've been a pro basketball in your career. Now you're doing great things in the media. But what's your greatest sporting achievement not in the basketball realm? I'll tell you mine. I'll give you some time. I'll pad for you. So I'm a, I am was a elite cricketer when I was – I played for Chewett Hill Cricket Club. And you didn't, you're not a, you're not from Perth, but Stuart Hill's elite um, club, you know, it's big time. Mm-hmm. Uh, five for 16 in a grand final, um, bowling leggies, um, cleaned up the tail end. We still lost the grand final, which is unfortunate. But that's probably the greatest thing I've ever done in the sporting realm. Five what about you? You can't use basketball because you've been a pro. It's only fair. Well, not using basketball makes it very hard for me because <laughs> I've been kind of, of yeah, well, I've been sort of very specific right from I was when I was really little. My, my parents tried hard when I was a little tacker to kind of broaden my horizons and get me to try different things. Yep. So I'll reach into kind of those experiences. Yeah, um, I played one season of cricket. I, for Camberwell here in Victoria. Um, I don't know which team I was in in terms of, but I would have been maybe maybe nine or 10 or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I, um, my first, my first um, time bowling, my first ball, mid-stump out of the ground. <laughs> oh, out of the ground. <laughs> bowling heat as a kid. Yeah. So <laughs> I, it's literally actually my only cricketing memory. Apart from I can remember sort of maybe just being in the nets at practice and kind of getting a sense of what this different environment was like <laughs> compared to my, you know, what I just knew and understood well in the basketball space. But apart from that, the only thing I can remember from that one season was taking the mid stump out of the ground and just running <laughs> around like I was Craig McDermott with my Very finger good. out high. <laughs> well, that's good. We'll take that. Um, let's go back to the, um, sorry to sort of, just take a sidebar there. Let's go back to the the draft lottery. So, the the one team that I feel worse for is the Houston Rockets. Um, so they were so awful, and every guy on there that was that played well was basically playing to try and get more money on their contracts later on. Like I had no interest in winning games. Um, well, from my point of view, anyway. And they end up with the fifth pick. Um, is that like? Do you think that's worth? all the the shit that they've done this year like getting that fifth pick or do they go again and go absolute like be really bad again next season were they the fifth pick or would i i think they were in weren't they in that top four with portland and san antonio and and charlotte i felt like houston was still in there the ringers mock draft and they've got um uh spurs hornets portland oh rockets fourth sorry and the pistons got the fifth. it was the pistons that that slipped out yeah, that's right. They so had go, the hard luck story. That's right. So those two teams, it's pretty rough to be that bad, and then and you know, and then you you lost lost your coach. So to be those bottom teams, like you just have to go again, right? And and be really bad. Yes and no. Um, I mean they're they're both in kind of rebuilding uh, processes right now, uh, and that is just sometimes how the lottery works out. Sometimes you bounce up higher and you win the basketball gods smile on you in that regard. And sometimes you you drop a spot from where your projections were going to be. Um, but also, 
It's also how the draft works out sometimes. It's yeah. not always the first. I mean, it's going to be this time. We yeah. all feel very confident <laughs> about that. But it's not always um, the teams that pick higher than you that end up with the better players or the franchise players moving forward. Yeah. You know, like, um, you know, it was Jason Tatum was what was he the third pick? Uh, yeah, that's true. You know, when he was coming through and here he is having 51 points in a closeout conference semifinal game. And he's a franchise piece that the Celtics kind of built around and, and play off now. And Nikola Jokic, I mean, what what was he? I mean, he wasn't... He, yeah, you no know, clue. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's more, it's more sometimes it's about where you land. Clearly, in this case, getting the number one pick was the, the enormous prize. Yeah. Um, and it's been that way a number of times over the history of the NBA and LeBron and other examples of, of that for sure. But sometimes you might find the guy that turns out to be, if you were to redraft years down the track, the guy you might have picked first or second overall, and maybe you found him at pick four or five. So, yeah. you know, I think that that's kind of the mentality that they need to take to say, hey, listen, like, let's, this is where we are. This is the pick we have. Let's see if we can, um, through our scouting and our player evaluation and looking at the roster that we have, we can find the right guy and, and others maybe around us uh, find the wrong guys. Yeah. I um this morning sacrificed a baguette for my Dallas Mavericks, hoping that it would sort of summon some something from the basketball gods so that we could move up in the draft. There was higher chance of the Mavs um, moving out of that pick because they had traded to the Knicks, mm-hmm. um, the protection. So they had a higher chance of moving out of that pick than moving up. And I just thought, of course, it's going to happen. We're going to lose our pick. Mm. to pay for the sins of our past of uh, trading for Kyrie and, I don't know, doing all sorts of bad stuff and from the front office. I'm a pessimistic Mavs fan. I'll I'll just, I'm not sure if that's coming across or not. Um, Are you you happy with with Luca being your your foundation piece that you're building around moving forward? I think this year was a real, like, um, he's been so good, like, from the very beginning and, like, he's never really had many growing pains and he's, like, been just flushed with um well he's flushed with talent and we've been very lucky and haven't really had any like anything bad go wrong in terms of Luca and I think mm-hmm. l- this last year was real like the the thing that the growing pains and I reckon he's going to come back really strong next year um I just don't think we got the team around him at all like right. I think th- we've yeah I don't know if Jalen Brunson would have been a very nice piece next to him, mm-hmm. but I've mm-hmm. gone on that forever um, about that forever on this show. So I'm not going to keep making you, listeners hear about Jalen Brunson, but you know, the feel, like, the thing that I always go back to with the Mavs and watching them at the moment is not re-signing Tyson Chandler the yeah. year after you won the title. Mm. I feel like that you talk about the sins of the past, like, oh, yeah. you know, like drafting Luca was the opposite, right? Like you got yeah. him at pick three. That's a great result. But I just felt like not going just all in and paying whatever needed to be paid to re-sign Chandler that year yep. and go for, you know, just go for it again while you're in that window with Dirk. Yes. I think you're still paying for that. Absolutely. Because Mark Cuban was trying to be really smart and was talking about cap space and it's going to be super valuable. And then it meant absolutely nothing. Like there was so much talk around like it, this is the best thing for the team. And I agree. Like, why wouldn't you just go for it? Like f- if you lose, if you end up seventh seed, at least you went for it with championship mm. aspirations, mm-hmm. not just like mm. throwing it all in, which is why I'm frustrated by them not trying to go for the play in as well, because we've seen now in the West, 
the the Lakers, right, are up against yeah. the Nuggets, which I think the Nuggets will win easily. But mm-hmm. still, you just don't know. You, you don't know how the cards will fall. You don't know which superstar. You like Jokic could get injured, and the team like the Nuggets are an easy beat. Like that's you know. And now we've got the tenth pick, and they're probably going to trade it. So oh, do you? You're so, so sad. You're really bringing my <laughs> mood down. I got to be honest. Sorry. What do you do if you get the tenth pick? It's so. It's like. Like you did say you could you can find the jam right franchise yeah. guys, but the tenth pick in the last like twenty years has been just enough. Like I don't know if many of them are still in the league. For some reason, the tenth pick is cursed. We nailed a pick right around that time. When I say we, I'm a big Phoenix Suns. Yes, we'll get fan. to your Suns. Yeah. So who who you who have you gotten in in that sort of area? Pick thirteen. Yep. What year was it? Twenty fifteen. Devin Booker. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and that was a case like at the time where it was like, I, I, I get, you know, we all get hits and misses in terms of our evaluation and what we, you know, when our team drafts a player, we go, oh no. And he turns out to be terrific. Well, this was a guy at the time I was like, bam, at the 13th pick, that just feels like a home run. Yep. Because, you know, he has the chance to be really, really special. And, um, you know, now he is that, you know, he's an all NBA mm. type of guy. So okay, hey, keep the faith. Yeah, keep the faith. Yeah. All right, I'll keep the faith. How about you and your son? So you, um, I thought when you got Durant, it was over. I thought like the, the, the year's done, you guys would win the championship easy. To then get um, to lose in the second round, like how do you feel? Do you think it's a success? And we won't go down the path of failure as success uh, like Giannis ways, but I just mean like, do do you think are you happy with the result given the team that you had? No, really unhappy. Yeah, champion. If you're a championship contender and you don't get to the conference finals, you get bundled out in that kind of realm, then it's really disappointing. And we were we were definitely championship contenders. Um, that said, had we had Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton on the floor in that game, I don't think we get blown out. Maybe yep. we win that game. Maybe we'd be advanced through that series. It's a big what if for me moving forward, you know, like the fact that those guys weren't out there on the floor. Jokic obviously destroyed us mm-hmm. all series. But Aiton, you know, would I just feel like it would have made things a different. If he was on the floor, if CP had been out there and we had been able to give it our, our real shake. I mean, what made us a genuine championship contender in – all of our eyes and in your eyes when we signed Durant was the fact that we had KD and Book, but we also had those other key pieces, yeah. those other star players that didn't you feel can... like you gave up a heap for it. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And as a result, you know, we didn't have the same kind of depth. Mm. Um, but what we had was elite talent at the top end. Yeah. In those four in particular, and two of them weren't on the floor in that elimination game and as a result we got blown out which is why look i feel like it's rough on monty williams to lose his job in that sort Mm. of situation absolutely it's a terrific coach it's a brutal business and a really cutthroat industry head coaching positions most of all and we've been bundled out in capitulations in elimination games of the the playoffs the last two years so didn't surprise me, but it also like I felt I felt bad for him, and I felt like he would have he was the right guy for us moving forward. Um, but just knowing the industry as I do, like um, 
Like it's the it's a it is a win or go home, yeah, sort of situation, and and that's the reality for for him and the Suns now moving forward. Does DeAndre Ayton stay on the team? Well, that's going to be really interesting to see. Um, I because at, at one fan, point, sorry, at one point, you, you know, you're saying he wasn't on the floor, right? I saw, and I'm just going <laughs> to go on the one play that he didn't even want to be on the floor when he was on the court, like he was standing in the out of bounds and he was watching guys <laughs> get rebounds, like that one player, the poor guy, like he's had, you know, that one microscope on that. Um, where he's just watching people get rebounds and he's like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he can be a little frustrating at times in, in, in that regard. He's young. He's sorry. He's young. He's like centers yeah. don't get, don't hit their prime to like 27, 28, you know, exactly. he's got so much growth. Yeah, for sure. And you know, like he's very skilled. Um, and you know, he's, he's a, um, I think he's a key piece for us moving forward. If we can keep him and, and I would like to see us, like bring the band back together. Yeah, right. CP is the interesting one for me because he's not getting any younger and can he stay healthy through the bump and grind of a of a, a deep playoff run is a big question that's, you know, that that needs to be answered. Can you find a different elite point guard to, to operate with this? Do you need an elite point guard or just to dip someone different to run that group when you've got Book and KD? That's an interesting question for me, but I feel like Aiton's in him an important piece. I was wrapped with the fact that we were able to get KD and keep DeAndre Ayton yeah. at the time. So I would be keen for for the front office to to keep him on the roster. I will say though, when I watch DeAndre Ayton, I'm constantly reminded of the fact that we didn't we didn't draft Luka Doncic, <laughs> and of course we have Book, and would that have worked? And it's, you know that was the decision at the time, and obviously Ayton was playing at Arizona and. The owner at the time was was out of the University of Arizona, and you could see why he yeah. kind of that we went that way. But you know, like having like Luca was coming in as a Euroleague MVP, like it was obvious yeah. that he was going to be what he is, and we went in a different direction. I think next year I wouldn't be surprised. I'm just gonna, you know, I, I'm just guessing a lot of the time. Um, a sign and trade CP3 Kyrie. Um, and we end up with Aiton and CP3 and you guys get Kyrie in some weird way. Like the Mavs always swing for these superstars that are way past their prime and try to give them, like try to get anything out of them. I think, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's my gut. I don't know if that works in a trade machine or not, <laughs> but KD um, and, and Kyrie playing together, I wouldn't be surprised. And the Mavs just like, taking cp3 on some huge contract so okay i don't tick that that off as a suns fan i don't give that i don't give that the tick of approval (laughs) but they're not asking me (laughs) um let's let's talk about coaches so you did you brought up monty so it seeming seems like good coaches are getting the flick um especially this season right so we had monty um doc rivers has just been um let go nick nurse uh coach bud who's a two years removed from a championship um silas and, and Dwayne casey not the you know they're not the greatest coaches they're good coaches they're former mavs assistant coaches but they also have lost their jobs is this just it, like coaches lose their jobs every season but this mm. season seems like it's like good coaches are just getting getting um removed seemingly like quite quickly really good coaches yeah coaches who won titles 
in some of these cases with that organization not all that long ago. Yeah, so Nick Nurse won, what was it, four years ago now? Um, Bud, yeah, two years. Yeah, Monty, amazing. You know, I mean, it's a great finals. time to have a head coaching vacancy mm. because, you know, the guys that are potentially in the pool there that you could be talking to are really high caliber. You know, yeah. the guys that you just talked about there, Monty, of course. So as I said, man, it's brutal. Like, why would you want to be a head coach? You know, head coaches will always talk about the fact that you're, you know, you like you you you're only one losing season away from getting fired in the yeah. NBA. It's it's it is that cutthroat. Um, those organizations that have shown a bit more faith and grown with coaches sometimes and often will get rewarded for that. Um, but yeah, to see these guys that have been like a really experienced former coaches of the year or um, championship winners. In just in recent times, yeah. lose their jobs has been, it's been wild. What are they going to replace them with? Like, there's not this influx of like. Obviously, there's probably going to be like some musical chairs, and they probably all end up coaching each other's teams or whatever. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. You, there's not like ten really good coaches out there that you're like, oh, this will be so much better than than Bud or whatever. Mm. Who who knows the team? Who's just won a championship? Yeah. Doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. And I guess a lot of it comes down to like the fact that you've got your sort of franchise pieces as players. And if you feel like maybe that the message is growing old or getting stale a little bit, uh, and you need a, a kind of a, a big change to your but to the basketball side of things, it's usually not gonna be with those franchise pieces, right? Yeah. It's not gonna be with Giannis. Like he is the guy there in Milwaukee. And so if you need a change that's really gonna shake things up, well then it's the head coach. Yeah. So I think that's what happens a lot of the times here. And that's that's certainly the case with a couple of these kind of guys. And um, yeah, but as you say, like really high caliber guys and the grass is not always greener, and yet they they get given the flick so yeah. regularly. That's a, a nice little segue into chatting some NBL stuff. So Chase Buford um, coming off two from two, um, two championships um, with the Sydney Kings and gets fired. Well, I'm sorry, doesn't get fired. They're no longer, he's no longer the coach. So they parted ways. They, the team didn't pick up his option, I believe. That's, was that a surprise to you or, or is there some reasoning that isn't out yet? Well, there is some reasoning that is out. Um, which was interesting to kind of read and listen to yesterday, um, both from the reporting from guys like Olga Nulich at ESPN and Matt Logue at News Corp, but also from the statement that came out from the club talking about the fact that that Chase is exploring his NBA opportunities. Yeah, Not stating definitively, definitively that he has something that he's going to but that he's looking to explore those opportunities and see what is potentially out there and that the um the kings got to a point in their deliberations where they needed a commitment now the right. reporting from Ogunul it was to say that may 15 was the deadline to decide whether or not they were picking up his option for the upcoming season and so it seems as though that that deadline was set uh, chase was saying look, I, I still want to look at what this could potentially look like. Can you push that back a little bit? Can you give me more time? And the Kings got to a point where they clearly said, no, um, it is what it is and it's going to be this way, which really surprises me. Yeah. If there is nothing more to it, because if there is nothing more to it, I mean, he is an unbelievably successful coach at the NBL level. 
yeah to come in and and win at the rate that he's done and to just go bang bang back to back championships like championships are really hard to win at that kind of elite level and yeah they've had talent for sure they've had talent on those rosters but you know, teams have had talented rosters before, like really stacked rosters. I think of Melbourne United squads that Joey yeah. Wright was calling the most talented team since his 07 Bullets when Daniel Kick had arrived and they had Jordan McRae draft and stash. And, you know, that team didn't make the finals. Um, yep. You know, I think about Sydney Kings teams with Bogut and Randall and you know, Kevin Lish, and you think, man, that has some serious – that they're, MV, they're that's three MVPs of the league yep. on the same squad together. And, you know, they made the playoffs but not the – the, the championship series. So to, to, to come in and go back to back like that and for the club to get to a point where they felt like they just couldn't wait any longer kind of befuddles me a little bit. I, I do find that element of it quite surprising. So yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my head around, around that and kind of, you know, see if I can get a little bit more information about how it's all played out. But the bottom line is, um, they are going in separate ways now, and we wait to see what that means for Chase Buford, whether he is going to be on an NBA bench next season. And if that does happen, I'm fascinated to see what kind of situation he lands in. You know, does he land yeah. on the front of an NBA bench? And it's a really good situation. It's the type of thing that he would have gone to as a step up from the head coach of the Sydney Kings anyway. Or... Or not? Is it? Does it result in something of a bit of a sideways move in that regards? I, I'm really interested to see how that all ends up playing out. Yeah, especially with the Kings, it seem seem like they've got most of their team locked down, right? They're not going. We're just we're emptying the um, the cabinet here. We're just going <clears> to <throat> totally reboot with a whole new team and a new coach. Like they have most of it sorted already. So you think you'd have the luxury of a bit more time to wait and and see if you want the coach. Um, we'll see if, if he can explore his options. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Especially just... when you talk about the local group. Mm. Um, yeah. That, that low, I mean, they've basically got their local roster full. The whole bench unit is full. Yep. Now they've got to kind of build out the, what's going to be the rest of their starting group. So imports. Now, it's hard to go out into any market and recruit free agents, whether they're locals or imports without a head coach yeah, and without certainty about who that's going to be. That is hard to do, to sit down with a player. And, you know, I've certainly found this over the time, over a period of time talking to potential next stars when teams weren't sure who, and I'm going to experience that in this next little while with Sydney, where um, if if you can't talk to who the head coach is going to be and the player can't actually sit down and have a conversation and the agent with that coach, that makes things a bit tricky. So that would be what the Kings are thinking about saying, well, in the next little while, we're yeah. going to need to sign our imports and know who those guys are going to be. So we're going to need to know who ha- who is going to be coaching the team. Yeah, there you go. Let's, let's talk about next stars. You, you just brought that up. So um, you have much more, well, you are the guy now for next the next star program, right? Your, your, what's your sort of title with that? Your... The, my title, I'm the I GM. Say like the president. You're the president of the Next Star program. <laughs> that's right. Let's roll with that. I'm El Presidente <laughs> of the Next Stars. No, I'm the GM of Next Stars Recruitment, Yeah. Um, which means basically I work hand in hand with the commissioner, Jeremy Lowliga, on running the Next Stars program. Yeah. So so how does Next Stars work? So um, 
yeah, just it seems like there's been like some understanding and there's stuff that's quite transparent. Other things you're like, oh, I don't really get the rules around it. So can you give us a real brief sort of idea of how it actually works for teams? Sure. Well, I mean, I guess what most people who have been following the league for a period of time know is that the Next Stars program is um, set up to attract uh, NBA draft prospects from around the world um, to come and play in the NBL for a year potentially or potentially more, um, elevate their draft stock, develop their game, have a terrific life experience, and then uh, you know begin their careers and head off to the NBA draft and grow from there. I mean, that's that's the program yeah. in a nutshell. It's seen some different iterations over a period of time when all of a sudden the draft and stash element of a player recruitment went from becoming an import like James Ennis or Devin Hall or these types of guys, Jordan McRae, to sitting within the next stars space. Um, Didi Luzada and uh, Justinian Jessup were examples of that. Um, but predominantly, as the, the Next Stars program is set up to attract draft-eligible players, Josh Giddy, LaMelo Ball, AJ Johnson, Alexander Saar, these guys that are looking at an alternative pathway on their way from playing either high school ball in the American case or um, you know, maybe some, um, some pro ball in Europe, like was experienced with some of the, the French guys and others that have, that have come here, Ariel Hook Porty. Um, or coming out of the junior ranks or the NBA Global Academy, the center of excellence, like Josh, what was Josh Giddy's experience, on their way to the NBA draft, an alternative pathway to go from here to there. And it's it's become a proven pathway in that regard and is attractive, you know, real high-level talent. So how does it work? Are these guys um, all paid a set salary? Does the team get to decide how much they're paid? Does it come off the salary cap? What about those sorts of things? The next star's salaries sit outside the salary cap. Um, always has and always will be. Um, so that's a you know, really attractive element of recruiting these guys and working with these players from a, from a team perspective. Um, the salary is uh, not a set amount. It's a, it's a negotiated on a case-by-case basis. Um, and, uh, and, then, and, and obviously, as has been sort of stated previously, the league is involved in that process, in engaging the player, contracting the player. And then from that point, that then takes the decision about which team the next star is the prospect's going to play for. We take the financial element out of that decision. Right. So that that's a pure basketball decision, which is a really kind of key component of the process. Um, so that we, you know, we the the league contracts the player, engages the player as they go through their period of time in the NBL. Their salary is paid by the league, by MB, the NBL accounts department, not by that that team. And um, so then the decision about who they're going to play for, as I say, is a pure basketball decision. We they with the focus is on the fit, the role, the roster, the, the city in some instances, the coach, what's going to be a great spot for both the team but also the prospect to make sure it's a win-win situation moving forward. So the league then sits down with the front office of a, of a team and says, hey, we'd like this, we think this player would be a good fit for you guys or um, or do, do the teams express interest? Like, okay, the, do you say there's a pool of next stars who would like this guy and then you sort of put your hand up and is that how it works? 
It's a bit of a combination of of all of that. One of the things that I'm trying to bring to the program um, in my role is a constant dialogue with the key decision makers at all of our 10 MBL teams in this space. So uh, I'm in constant communication with the, you know, with the coaches, the CEOs, the GMs um, about their roster, what that looks like moving forward, what it looks like right now, what it might potentially look like in the next stars this conversation as well. So um, I was in like let's use Alexander Saar as a yeah. as a as a case. Um, I, I've been I was in conversation with the Perth Danny, Wildcats. Yeah, who signed with the Perth Wildcats? Yeah, yeah well, signed with the league and and yes. the Perth Wildcats. Um, been constant communication with Danny as monks um, as well as all the other uh, you know, key decision makers, as I said. But in constant communication with Danny about well, what's What's the team going to look like next season? What's the team going to look like moving forward? In which kind of space would you be interested in a next star? Um, and then as we kind of start to engage with players, I'll then start to sort of speak to these guys about potential next stars. Not guys that have signed as next stars, but guys that we're in conversation with yep. who could potentially come into the mix. Is this a guy that you'd be looking to engage with? Um, get a bit of a sense in that regard. Um, and then... From there, there's an expression of interest process. Then when we get to a pointy end in conversations with the player and their agents, their family, and there's a real strong interest in coming to the next stars, we then put out communications to all of the clubs to say, if there is a genuine interest to engage with this player, let us know within a period of time. And then we pick up those conversations from there. And from that point, the player and their team have the opportunity to meet with the you know the key players key guys at those teams have zooms essentially get presented to pitch to as to why they would be a great landing spot um and you know in the end the, the decision lies primarily almost wholly really with the player and and their right. group something we want them to make sure we want the team to make sure that they're they're in the game pitching for a player that they really want. Yeah. And we want the player to land somewhere that they feel really confident and comfortable with because we feel like that's the best opportunity to get a great result all round. So that that's what happened with Alexander Saar. Um, you know, he was really impressed with what Danny and and Johnny John really um presented. Um felt like it was a really good fit. The role was was exactly what he was looking for. The organization, the city, the fan base. And felt comfortable diving in and, and signing on with the Wildcats. That's cool. So um, one last one on this. So so you get to, you essentially get to play God a bit, right? Like you don't get to pick, like you get to match up a player right with the, the team. So you, you, you do a lot of like the moving around. That's a pretty cool job. Like it's a pretty cool role that you have within the league. It's, it's been really fun. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Like it's my first sort of step into player personnel. Yeah. So um, obviously, there's a lot of the role that's that's evaluating talent, um, watching a lot of a lot of uh, hoops that I wasn't previously watching. Right, watching a lot of kind of uh, European leagues, younger leagues, like I'm, you know, like these guys that are, for instance, coming through the the French program, uh, Ryan Repair, Usman Jiang. These guys have come through a, a, a place in France called INSEP, sort of like our center of excellence, our AIS. Right. They play in the third division 
<laughs> of pro ball in France. I've watched right. a lot of that over the past six months. Overtime Elite, a lot of G League, um, a lot of high school stuff, right. um, and a lot of the kind of the junior stuff here in Australia as well. So I've been watching a lot of that, evaluating the talent, uh, building my network of of um, uh, networks within you know player agents, um, NBA scouts, NBA front offices. Um, to, to be in conversation with and and then also building my relationships with those key decision makers and key guys, coaches and GMs around the league as well, which were already pretty strong, but, you know, have become stronger throughout this process as now I'm not trying to like work with them and uh, in the media space, but more so trying <laughs> to harass them for, for info, <laughs> for info or quotes or interviews. And now I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to serve as a guy who can help them help yep. them get a player that's going to help their team, help their club, help the league overall. Yeah, that's cool. Sounds like you'll be a GM at some point. Maybe um maybe head head over the the Mavericks and do something there. Sorry, I just keep I keep thinking about the Mavs um and you know, sort of poor front office. Anyways, let's let's um I've got some questions from people uh that have put in our Instagram backchat underscore basketball before we do that just one team your way too early prediction for next season championship for the nbl for the nbl yeah i tell you i've been really impressed with what melbourne have, have right. put together melbourne, melbourne it is melbourne united i mean okay. joe luala chul's back they've got luke travers ariel hook porty's back dally's back Delhi's back. Shay Illy's a kind of a key guy. Of course, we wait to see how kind of how healthy he's going to be. Chris Golding's still on that roster. Yep. All of that we haven't. Even, that, that's there's, that's not even talking about a single import at this point. I th- feel like Tanner Krebs was a really savvy pickup in free agency as well. So they are stacked. They're loaded. And last time they loaded up a bit like this for me was that season that 2021 season that they won the title with jock landau as the grand final mvp yep and they had um, scotty hobson as their import coming off the bench i feel like they're loading up in a kind of a similar style like that all right melbourne there you go all right this is from james.cockman what is your commentary career highlight um we'll go with that one there's a few questions there that's a good one that is a cool question um I think calling the the NBL championship series is my highlight. Um, I've done that, I think, the last five years in a row now. But to be involved in in those games at that really pointy end of of proceedings, um, it's a real honor. It's a privilege. It's a huge responsibility that I don't don't take lightly um, because, you know, I think it's, it's an amazing league. I love being a part of it. I've loved it my whole life, the NBL. And so to be involved in calling those games, the games that are going to actually decide who hoists the championship trophy when all is said and done, um, they're, they're my highlight, being involved in those. That's cool. Um, from Chelsea underscore S, did Bronny James consider playing in the NBL next star program? We were in the conversation. We were in the mix. That's cool. Um, uh, now I can't, I'm not going to speak for Bronny in specifically, but I can say that we're in the mix. We made sure that we were a part of that decision-making process and that, you know, we presented ourselves as a real viable offer, uh, yep. option. Um, it was, um, 
you know, and we we came correct as well. Like there was no messing about. It was obviously going to be, uh, you know, a really competitive landscape, the recruiting landscape for, for yeah. Bronny. You would have seen some valuations about him in terms of name, image, and likeness yeah. um, moving into next season. And he had some great options at the collegiate level, of course. Landed at USC, but, you know, others like Oregon and Ohio State that were well discussed publicly. Um, but we made sure that we we're in that mix and we presented ourselves as an alternative pathway. And in the end, unfortunately it went a, a different direction. Almost like a blessing. Like it would have been amazing for Bronny to come to the NBL, but then you're the guy that's, I mean, I'm sure there's more decision makers, not just you like, going, okay, you're going to go play for that team. But like Bronny would have ended up on one NBL team and whether he'll be, I, I think he'd be a very good player, but you guarantee a team like They'll sell out of jerseys. They'll they'll pack stadiums. Like that's a huge piece to give a an NBL franchise, right? And you probably would have been one of the key decision makers in that happening. Well, again, as I said before, it's the athlete who decides at the end of the day. You right. know, like we, I didn't decide that Alexander Saar was going to go to the Wildcats. Alexander yeah. and his team ended up deciding. Right, right. I didn't decide that AJ Johnson was going to go to the Hawks he and his group eventually decided that it was going to be with yeah. Illawarra. Um, but, I, you know, I being guess part every of team that... would have put their hand up for Bronny James, so it would have been completely up to him to pick. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. Um, one last one before I let you go uh, from Nick Tan, 77. Should the NBL be increasing the number of games per season as more teams are added? Um, as more teams are added? I mean, yeah, I think you, we need to have that conversation. You know, I think... With 10 teams right now, the 28-game season, I think, is a sweet spot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't see the necessity to kind of increase that number at this point. One of the – and this is, comes as no surprise to everyone. It's old news. But one of the really great selling points for the NBL um, internationally and recruiting imports and the and next stars and the like is the fact that it's a reasonably short season. It's yep. short, sharp. It starts in the start of October, but it finishes in March, maybe early April. And if you're a high-level player, you can potentially pick up another short-term contract elsewhere. And we've seen guys doing that left and right this year. You know, Mitch Creek and Gary Brown, those guys playing over in Puerto Rico, but then Milton Doyle and and, uh, Brady Manick. And look, there's guys all over Europe right now. Some guys have jumped over to Japan. Um, Sam Froling's just returned from his experience over there. That, that's that's a real positive. Um, and then from a certainly from a next stars perspective, the draft prospects, the ability to finish the season early, get over to the states, start their draft preparation, get their individual workouts in, get their body right so that they hit the team workouts, the combine, those types of things in peak nick is a yep. real positive. I mean, it's something that separates us from the European situation where those guys need to grind it out. I mean, they're only those leagues are looking to start their playoffs here in the next little while in late mm. May. And yeah. we're heading real close to the, to the draft. We're heading real close. I mean, the combine's happening right now this week. And some yep. of those guys, like, you know, obviously Wemby, but also a guy like Bilal Kulabali, they're not there right now involved in that in that process having those interviews with teams and the like. So, um, and then the other part of course is, is where our league sits within the Australian sporting landscape. 
um, when you factor in the winter competitions of footy and rugby that are real goliaths of course from a yeah. from a tv and a commercial perspective in this in this landscape as well the fact that we sit where we do because of the number of games and what we have right now i think works but you're right as the league grows in in number of teams it's certainly a conversation that will need to take place to assess whether or not it, it will help the league eventually to, to to increase the number of games very good, Liam. Thank you so much for uh, giving up your time today uh, on the Backchat Basketball Show. One one last quick one from me. Are you a footy fan, AFL, when I say footy? I am. Which team? Well, I'm an Essendon Bombers okay. fan. So okay. my mum my grew up right around the corner from Windy Hill. Great. My dad, um, you know, the Santa Maria household, the Italian blood flowing throughout, were all Carlton supporters. Of course. So when I was a, um, a little tacker, um, one, I was the, the, the youngest of three boys. One went for Carlton, one went for Essendon. And essentially when I came along, I was up for grabs. Yep. So in my baby photos, some with Carlton stuff on, some with Essendon. <laughs> and of course my mum won out and I became a bomber. And when I was really tiny, back-to-back premierships in 84 and 85, the baby bombers yep. in 93, the heartbreak of 99, and then the, the dominance of 2000. But I tell you, it's been it's a been tough rough. trot ever since. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. It'll come around again. Wow, it always I does. I yeah. so. Unless you St. Kilda or something. All right, thanks again, mate. Um, I would like to chat to you again soon, maybe when the season comes a bit closer, we can we can talk about the NBL a bit more. But um, appreciate giving out some time. And uh, if you're listening now, you have we'll have Reese Vague, I think, next week. Uh, we've recorded that. So um, that'll be on the Backchat Basketball Show. You can email us, hello at backchatpodcast.com.au. Uh, send us a message on Instagram, backchat underscore basketball. Liam, thanks again. Thanks, Steve, for having me. 